This is a story of a man and a woman who lived in a beautiful garden. It's a story of a snake who tricked mankind for thousands of years. It's a story of God and his promises. It's the story of one who's coming back to crush the head of the snake. And to give us that home we once had, we might have forgotten, lost. Biggest story. A few weeks ago, my son and I had the privilege of going scuba diving. Now, I've been diving most of my life, and Brooks, last year, became certified. And so it's been this thing that he and I have really started to enjoy to do together. So last weekend, we were on vacation and had a chance to do a number of dives, and he came to me and said, Hey, Dad, I want to do a night dive. Now, I've done a number of night dives. This was going to be his first. And so we found a place near where we were staying that we could do a shore dive at night. And uh, as the sun was going down, we got all geared up and got into the water. And I was so concerned about making sure that my son was okay, that, that his flashlight was working, that he understood his gear, that, that he was attentive to everything he needed to be attentive to, that I wasn't paying enough attention to where we were going. And about 20 minutes into the dive, I realized we're lost. Now, it is one thing to not know where you are. It is an entirely different thing to not know where you are when you're 45 feet under the water in the ocean at night with your 12-year-old son. I was like, I am in trouble. And then I thought, if we make it back and his mom finds out, I'm in real trouble. <laughs> and so we uh, made a decision and, and took a heading and hoped for the best. But here's the lesson that I learned in that whole experience. It's that when you get just a little bit off at the beginning, you can end up really far away from where you wanted to be. And that's what happened to us. And that same principle is the reason that we're doing this series. We're doing this series where we're understanding the big story of the Bible. We're trying to understand God's big story. And the reason that we're spending all of this time in this month by looking at the very first few words and, and, and sections of Scripture is because if you get just a little bit off at the beginning, you can get so far away from where you need to be at the end. And, and the reason that so many of us are experiencing disappointment and discouragement in our own personal lives, the, the reason that we're struggling in a lot of our relationships, in our, in our marriages, in our places of employment, in our families, that the reason that, that the world is the way that it is is because we have, we have gotten off track from God's vision of who we're supposed to be as people. And when you get just a little off at the start, you end up someplace that we never intended, God never intended for us to be. So to help with that, in the midst of this series, as we're looking at the beginnings here of God's big story, we're going to go back to the beginning and try to get ourselves aligned with God's vision for humanity. So I would invite you to open up a Bible or turn on a Bible, if you want to use a mobile or electronic version, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse uh, 26. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And as you're turning there, I just want to say welcome to our Idana campus. It's always good to have you with us. And uh, 
a special welcome to those of you at our Loring Park campus. Great to uh, have you there as we're uh, kicking off here this new year. And of course, those of you who are joining us online, we're always so grateful uh, that you're here and, and, and uh, joining us uh, online. So hopefully you have your scripture opened and uh, we're gonna begin here at the beginning. Genesis 1, 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right at the beginning, it says that we were created in God's image. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And this is something that theologians have wrestled with for years, that scholars have researched. It's something that Sunday school teachers have wrestled with how to communicate. And, and normal people like you and me have wondered, what's that mean to be made in the image and the likeness of God? And a lot of opinions and a lot of good thoughts have come as a result of trying to understand what this means. Some folks have said it's, it's our psychological disposition, the fact that we're self-aware and, and that we, uh, we, we, can, we can ration and we have reason and, and we're aware of our own psychology, that that's what separates us from the rest of creation and that's the image of God. And, and others will say, no, no, it's, it's more about our moral reasoning. We're moral agents. We can be ethical. That's what separates us from the rest of creation. That's what is the image of God in us. And others will say, no, it's, it's a relational dynamic. It's the fact that we can be relational and relate to one another in a way that's unique to humans, and, and that speaks to God's relational nature. And others have said, no, it's the fact that we're spiritual, that we have a soul, that that's what separates us. That's the image of God within us. And, you know, there's truth to a lot of those things. We do have a certain psychology about us as, as human beings that we are deeply relational individuals. We do have a soul, that we are moral agents. And all of those things are absolutely true. But I don't think that that's what Genesis 1 is trying to get us to pinpoint. As I've been studying this passage and really trying to understand what does it mean to be made in the image of God, what I've come to understand is I've actually been looking at this text in an incomplete way. That I've been so obsessed with, like, what does it mean to be made in the image of God that I've, maybe I've missed the larger story that God's trying to communicate. And I'm really grateful to a number of theologians that helped me to, to point this out to me. People like uh, Tim Mackey, people like Craig Smith, and uh, Richard Lentz ha have, have written about and spoken about this. And, and what the big idea here is that it is true that we are being made in God's image. But there's actually a larger narrative that's being unfolded in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 that is so subtle, but makes a slightly different argument. It's not just so much that we were made in God's image, but that we were made as God's image. And see, that's different. And when you're made in God's image, it's kind of like, you know, okay, there's, there's something about me that kind of has this image of God quality, but I'm kind of independent to go kind of do my own thing and, and think my own thoughts and kind of be my own way. But when I'm made as, God's image. That, that, that connects me to God in a different way. Don't mishear me. It, it's not saying that we are made as God. Not at all. Not at all. But we're made as his image, which means there's something about us that is to reflect, not ourselves, but God. Now, to help us understand this, we, we need to understand how the people, when this text was first written, thought. 
Uh, this text was written in a time period that we call the ancient Near East. It just means a long time ago. And oftentimes in the ancient Near East, there were all sorts of, of pagan societies and pagan cultures, and they had all sorts of ideas about cosmology, about how the world began, about how humanity was created, and all of it involved a, a pantheon of gods who fought each other, who, who enacted violence on each other, who wrestled for control with each other, and then the result of their battling and their arguing was, was the result of creation and then the result of humanity that was there to serve the will of the gods. And specifically, the concept of an image was very familiar in the ancient Near East. That kings that ruled over lands would use an image. Uh, so if, let's say the king of the Amalekites uh, went into a region, the king of the Ammonites went into a certain region, they took over another piece of property, they conquered somebody else's village. What the king would do is he would often set up an image there of himself. And it was there to represent his power and his influence and to remind everybody, hey, I'm in control even if I'm not physically present in this area. And these, these images were like statues. You know, there are some parts of the world today that still use a lot of that type of imagery and those type of statues or idols uh, that are put up to, to represent power, to represent influence, or to represent certain types of authority figures. And, and in the way that the ancient Near East people thought, the king went a little bit further. They would argue that not only would they set up something in their image to say that I have power and reign, they would actually go a step further to say that as the king of the people, they were the only image of their local gods. So again, let's think about the Ammonites. If you were the king of the Ammonites, you would worship, the Ammonites worship the god Moloch. And so the king of the Ammonites would say, I'm the one who is the image of Moloch, which means whatever I do, whatever I say is the will of Moloch here on earth. And so that's why I have the power as a king and that's why I can tell you what to do. And so in the midst of all of those type of cultures that just permeated so much of, of the landscape in the ancient Near East, the God of scripture, the God that we serve, he says, actually, let me tell you the real story. And the God of creation in Genesis chapter one says, I am the king, not just of a certain land and not just of a certain tribe. I'm the king of the whole thing because I made all of it and I made it with my voice. Now, Dale's been talking about this the last two weeks, that God literally spoke creation into being. In fact, the fact that you're able to say something and it happens is a sign of your power. Right? So, so, for instance, if I were to tell you, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hungry right now. Can, you know, can, somebody, can somebody get me a sandwich? Nobody's going to go get me a sandwich right now, right? Because I don't have that kind of power. But if the President of the United States right now said, I want a sandwich, I promise you, somebody is running to the kitchen to get him a sandwich. Why? Because he's the President. It, 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 the more power you have, the more you are able to control with just your voice. And so God is saying, listen, I'm the king of the entire universe. And when I said something, all of creation had to respond and it just happened because that's the power that I have. And as the king of the universe, I too have set up an image. And the image that I've set up is every single human being. Which means the image of God is not limited to one select individual that now has all the power and the control and the influence, but the image of God is every single human being. That every single one of us was created by the king of the universe to reflect 
his will, his purpose, his power, his influence over all of creation. That's what we were created to be. We were created as God's image. And so the question is, well, what's that mean for us? Well, an image has a relationship with the original. Right, right, an image is not the original, but the image has to properly reflect the original. In fact, we actually judge images based on how well they reflect the original. Let me, let me tell you about one of my favorite images. Um, several years ago, uh, our family was out taking family photos someplace. And uh, we got done and, and we were all kind of walking away. And uh, my wife was in conversation with some of our other family members. And somehow, somebody handed me the camera that we were using. And uh, no one knew that I was holding it, at least Stephanie didn't know that I was holding it. And so as, as she was walking and talking with some of her other family members, I started secretly taking her photo. It was like I was playing paparazzi and just kind of clicking off a whole bunch of photos. And she had no idea that I was doing this. And I captured a whole bunch of terrible images. I mean, they just, they, they were, I'm not a photographer, they weren't framed up well, they just, we just, you know, we just deleted them on the camera, but one image was this image that I actually have on my desk and, and I see it every day that I'm in the office. And it's this image that, that it's just framed up really well because I got lucky. Uh, and, and it's in focus, which you know, didn't happen to most of my, 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 uh, my, my pictures, but it was in focus and it's framed up well. But that's not why it's a good image. It's a great image because it captures the essence of my wife. See, it's, it's in this photo that her eyes are focused on the person that she's speaking with. That she's smiling, my wife is always smiling. Uh, that, that she has this kind of relaxed demeanor, but very intentional and, and interested in the person. She, she's leaning in, her head's kind of cocked to the side. She, she's, she just got done laughing about something. And she's just looking wonderfully pleasant. And if you've ever met Stephanie, you know that just describes her perfectly. And somehow in this image that sits on my desk on a regular basis, I was able to capture what I see in my wife when, when I see her, her essence. And so it's a good image because it reflects the essence of my wife. That's how we're supposed to be. As God's image, we are to reflect the essence of who God is. And the question is, well, what's that look like? What, what do we even mean? How do we do that? And God gives us a story to tell us how we are to be his image. And it's in Genesis chapter 2. So if you still have your Bibles open, just flip over to the next chapter or, or turn the page. And uh, in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, we get an outline about how we are to be the image of God. So Genesis chapter 2 starts with God reminding everyone that he had created a garden and he had placed humankind in the garden. And the reason he put us in the garden was to help to take care of it. And that's what he says as we pick up in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. It says this. It says, the Lord God took the man, uh, that means Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So right away there, we get, we get the first of three things that God tells us that it means to be his image. And that means that we have a vocation, that we have a calling, that, that we were called to take care of the garden and to enjoy it. And the garden there is, is certainly specific to the Garden of Eden, but it meant for all of humanity. And that actually connects back to a, another verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God finishes uh, talking about how he had created humankind. And then he says this, he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That the, the purpose, the vocation, the calling that God gave to us as his image is to subdue the earth and to take care of it. The word subdue is just one that we, we just don't use in our language. Chances are you have not used the word subdue this last week, right? You're not thinking like, I'm going to the office tomorrow. I'm going to subdue my work. If anything, we're like, I'm going to work and I'm going to be subdued by it. But we just don't use that term. But the idea of subduing just, it literally means to tread down. So it's this image that like we're out in the wilderness someplace, maybe out in the North Woods here in Minnesota, and we need to tread down a path so we now have access to the lake. That's, that's what subdue means. Uh, the idea of subduing something is that we're just going to impose our vision upon it. That we're somehow going gonna to change, change it and make something happen that wouldn't otherwise happen that's going to allow for flourishing and thriving. And that's what we were supposed to do in the garden. To take care of the garden, subdue the wildness of the garden so that it would produce fruit and so that we could enjoy that fruit. That's our calling. The, 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 the idea of the human vocation is to be the image of God and it's to make our world a better place. Why? Because that's what God did. God subdued creation. He subdued all of the chaos and God put order into the chaos so that our world could thrive. God created it with a climate and an ecological system so that our world, our universe can thrive. And we are called to do the same thing. So we are the image of God when we make the world around us a better place. When you go into an organization and you help to improve the organization, you're subduing that organization. When you take time and, and you help your family to thrive, you're living out what it means to be part of the image of God. If you're a school teacher and you're investing in the lives of young people, you're helping to subdue a sense of, of education and you're providing a way of being the image of God in, in that place of vocation. Uh, that if you're in a senior living community and, and you're, you're trying to just connect with a few other residents so they don't feel lonely, that, that's you being the image of God. You have a calling and a vocation to make the world around us a better place so that individuals can thrive. That's part of what it means to be the image of God. Here's the second. Uh, it's in verse 16. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the second thing God told, uh, tells us that we're supposed to be as his image is obedience to his word. So we have a calling, we have a vocation uh, to help subdue the earth, but we do it in obedience to the word of God. And that's so important. Those things are connected because God doesn't say, go subdue the earth however you choose to do it and, and to do it your way. No, no, we're supposed to do it God's way. We're supposed to subdue the earth with God's will, and he's given that to us in his very word. And if we fail to obey the word of God, it says the consequences of that is that we will die. And that's not just so much a form of God's punishment, although that is an element. What it is, is that's just the natural order of things. See, God is life. And his ways promote life. They promote thriving. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 are telling us. And when we choose to step outside of God's way, we're choosing to step outside of life. And when you step outside of life, you're stepping into, I heard somebody at Loring Park say it. 
You're stepping into death, right? That's what you're just, it's naturally of what you're choosing to do. So God says, in order to best be my image, you need to obey my word so that my will can continue to be done on earth. This is what it means to be human. And then God goes on to give us the third one, and it's this in verse 18. Then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. And that's noteworthy because this is the first time in all of the created order that God says something is not good. Everything else up to this point has been good. God said it was and it was good. And that's repeated over and over again in in this whole order until you get right here. And now it's not good for man to be alone. And so God creates a very special type of relationship. He creates the first family. He says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And then God goes on to create Eve. And you skip down to verse uh, 24. And after Eve is created, it says this in Genesis 2, 24. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Family. That we were called to have a familial relationship with one another here on earth. That's part of what it means to be the image of God. Why is that? Because God is a relational being. God's always existed in the Trinity. That that God created us to be in relationship with him. And so he wants us to reflect his image and for us to have a family as well. And and if, if you're like me, you kind of get to the end of this passage and you understand what God has been articulating here about what it means to be his image and there's a mix of emotion. On one hand, this is incredibly affirming. It's incredibly affirming to think that God has selected me to be his image in my world. That when I walk out in the streets of Minneapolis or when I'm driving my car through the western metros here in the Twin Cities or, or when I'm at my desk or I'm in that meeting or I'm having a conversation or I'm, I'm scrubbing the toilets in my home, what I am doing is I'm the image of God, reflecting God's goodness and his nature and his character and, and, and the, the sense of subduing my surroundings and improving them. I, I, I've been selected by the king of the universe to be his image. It's incredibly affirming. At the same time, it's a little disappointing because you think about those three areas and if you're like me, you think, I haven't lived up to those. Many of us, when we hear the idea of of living a vocational calling, say, that's just not my reality. I I struggle with my purpose. I struggle with why I'm here. I don't feel like I've ever had a calling. Maybe you've gone from job to job to job or the job you're in right now feels hopeless or, or, or you'd love to have a job or you're done with your job or you've never, you've never worked for a living and, and you feel like, well, what is my vocation? What is my calling? What is my purpose in life? And you've just been struggling with that. Or, or maybe like all of us, you recognize I, we, have not, we have not followed God's, God's word. We've not been obedient. Like there's there's that season in my life where I kind of did my own thing or maybe there's a certain area of my life right now where I'm doing my own thing. I'm I'm not living up to the image. I'm not following his word. And so we wonder, how can the image be restored? I don't feel like I have a purpose. How can the image be restored? I haven't followed God's word. How can the image be restored? And then we think about relationships and we don't see a beautiful image of a familial relationship where we're fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and instead it's, it's brokenness. We think about our failed marriage or we think about we're on our third marriage or we think about the fact that we came from a broken home 
Or we think about the fact that, that there's somebody in my family right now that I'm not speaking with because there's been tension in, in that family or that I don't get along with my neighbors or that there's somebody in the office as coworkers or I struggle to make friendships or I don't have uh, certain relationships in my life or you know marriage has just never been an option for me or we go on and on and we think if, if this is what it means to be the image of God, I've, I've not lived up to that at all. In fact, that doesn't even seem possible for me. How can the image be? restored. And the good news is that God knows all of those things. And God did not look at his image, tarnished as it was when we chose to step away. Because as you, as you, if you know the story, we, we chose to eat the fruit. We chose to reject God's word. We stepped outside of his will. We said, rather than reflect you, God, we want to reflect ourselves. We don't want to be your image. We want to be our own image. And we walked away from God. That, at, right at the beginning, we got just a little bit off. We're not going to be the image of God. We're going to be the image of ourselves. And, and, and we have just sailed so far away from God's vision for humanity because of what actions we took. But God did not give up on his project. Instead, he sent us the perfect image. I, I want to read for you from the book of Colossians. It comes in chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 15. And I'm going to read this from a slightly different translation. It's, it's uh, the, the NLT translation, the New Living Translation. Because I just love how it renders the text. But listen to these words about the perfect image that God has given to us. It says this. Uh, Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That Jesus Christ is the perfect image image of God. He's just not a reflection of God. He's not like that photo uh, of, of my wife. It's, it's not like an, a, a reflection of God. It's God himself. That Christ Jesus was God himself, the perfect image of God in human form. It says this, it says, speaking of Christ, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. God was, Jesus was there at creation that we've been talking about these last few weeks. He's made these things such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and holds all creation together. Christ is also, and here it is, he is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through God reconciled him everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Here's this amazing news, is that Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God. God always wanted humans to be his image, and we tarnish that image 
So he came himself in human form to be the perfect image. And not just that, he then invites us, because of his death and resurrection, to be in him. And that when we accept Jesus and we step into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, God gives to us the Holy Spirit and it changes us and it transforms us. But listen, it also justifies us. That just means it, it makes us right with God. And when God looks at us, he sees his son, which means the image in us through Jesus can be restored. It can go back to the beginning and get lined up with where God intended us as human beings, his image, to go and we can finally be the image that we could never be on our own and on ourselves. So what's that mean for us? I think what it means for us is that we understand that it's through the church, which is what Colossians tells us. It's Christ's body. It's through the church that we get the privilege of, of seeing the image of humanity restored. And it actually is the solution to all three of those things that we just spoke about. Because when you're part of the church, you're part of a certain vocation that Jesus Christ has given to you and to me. He's given us a calling. That calling is to go and make more disciples. That, that's the idea of going out and subduing the earth, that there's all this kind of chaos and craziness that's out there in the world. And what we get to do is we get to go and tread it down, not with our own interests and our own will, but we get to go and tread it down with the good news about Jesus. We get to go and bring peace and restoration, and that brings a sense of order that allows human flourishing to happen. You want to fix political systems, you want to fix economic systems, you want to fix all sorts of, of chaos around the world, have people meet Jesus. That's, that's the solution that brings restoration because it restores us as the image of God. And it's through the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives to us that we're able to actually be obedient to the word of God and live it out. Not of our own effort, but by God continuing to change us through Jesus Christ. And as we get changed and we become more like Jesus, we start to obey God's word more and more. And then we're able to fulfill that vocational calling. And, and, this, is, and this is just such good news for those of us that come from, from broken relationships or broken families or those of us that, that feel like we don't have enough of a family or we're missing our family. Or We get to become part of the family of God when we're in the church. When you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to being adopted by God himself. That you become a son or daughter of the king of the universe. You're now part of his adopted family forever. And it's in that family that we have a restored relationship with our heavenly father, God himself, the king of the universe. So what's that mean for us? I, there's two, two things I want to leave you with. The first thing it means for us is it means this. It means that we need to consider ourselves in the way that God sees us. God, God, God sees us as his image. And so this week, as, as you find yourself in, in meetings, as you find yourself doing routine tasks, as you find yourself driving your children all over to every single activity under the sun, as you find yourself doing whatever you find yourself doing, Think of yourself as doing it as a reflection of God himself. You are his image. He handpicked you and put you in that world, in that environment, in that family, in that workplace, in that meeting, so that you could reflect him to others around you. 
You're hand-selected by God to be his image. So think highly of yourself. Not because of your own effort, but because God wants to see you as his image. And in Jesus, you can become the fullness of it. And the second thing is as we move into this new year, would you do this? Would you commit that this year is going to be the year you commit to a local church? Now, if that local church is here at Wooddale Church, praise God for that. But if you're someplace else where you're just maybe hearing this message and and, and there's a a church body that you can get connected to closer to your home, I want to encourage you to do that. But find a good Bible-based, gospel-focused and centered church that just makes, makes much of Jesus and commit to that church. Commit to it. Because it's, it's the body of Christ. The, the lie that we have in our Western culture is that we're just all individuals. And the idea is that we can, we can have this thought that we're just made in the image of God and we can kind of go off and do our own thing and be our own person and whatever. And, and what God tells us that we need to do is that actually we're part of his image and we can only do that through Jesus Christ and that means being part of his body. And that means committing yourself to the local church. So make this year a year that you commit. You're going to become a member. You're going to volunteer. You're going to pray. You're going to be actively involved. You're going to give. You're going to, you're going to join a group. You're going to be committed to a local church because it's how the image of God is being restored throughout all of creation. And know this, that's because of what Jesus has done for you that you have now become his cherished image. You know, just just like I I look at that image of my wife, Stephanie, that that when God looks at you, he no longer sees you and all of your sin and all of your failures and all of your shortcomings. God looks at you and you know what he sees? He sees his son. He sees an image, the perfect image of his son, Jesus. And that means that when God looks at you and me, because of what Jesus has done for us, he sees us as his perfect image and his cherished image. Father, thanks for your word. And Lord, just the significance of what it means for us. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the image that you want us to be on this earth. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be so attentive to your word. Lord, that we would just know it so well. We would have a hunger for it, Father so that we could know your will and be able to reflect your will and your ways to the world around us. And in so doing, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to become the images that you created us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.